This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. This is 20 Pages a Week, and I am your host, Hal Hammonds. We are on a journey reading all the way through the Bible this year. Thanks for coming along. This week's reading is from Exodus, and ordinarily I would have guests with me. I do not because this week I am on vacation. Apologies for that. Hopefully we will be able to, uh, the plan is anyway, for us to have a guest lined up for the Leviticus study next week, Lord willing. I hope that comes together. It's not official though, so we're going to hold off naming names. At any rate, uh, we are going to be reading Exodus here this week, uh, just you and me. First impressions, I read Exodus this week and I thought to myself, this is a tent we're talking about, right? That's what the tabernacle is. It's a very elaborate, very colorful, very large tent. And the degree of detail that is mentioned in this is extraordinary and not especially unprecedented, by the way. If you uh, know the, the Bible, if you know other passages where God gives directions for how a building should be built or how people should conduct themselves or whatever, the idea of extensive detail is hardly unusual. And the tabernacle is certainly that way. And the idea that God would put that kind of thought into his structure, a temporary structure at that, one that would only send, stand as a foretaste of the temple that would become later, and of course even that, a foretaste of heavenly worship after that, after this life is over. The idea of, of this kind of detail on the tabernacle ought to give us some pause when we are trying to brush over the details that we may see in God's other plans for us. If God gives us some kind of instructions, he clearly expects us to follow that. Hebrews chapter 8 indicates that, that uh, everything was done according to the pattern, and such was the case with the tabernacle, such needs to be the case with the worship that we offer up as well in our lives. Uh, the one story that I want to focus on this week is the Pharaoh's story, which is to say the ten plagues and, and all of that. But the reason I want to focus on Pharaoh, especially this week, is because Pharaoh is a terrific example of the foreknowledge of God. And you see this before Pharaoh really even enters into the story. Early on, when Moses sees the vision of God, the burning bush at Mount Sinai, and he is told that he is going to be given the obligation to deliver his people from bondage. And he's going to go preach this message to Pharaoh. And he tells him right up front, Pharaoh is not going to listen to this. He is going to ignore this message. He's going to turn a deaf ear to you. He's going to persecute you. And then I'm going to punish him. This is perhaps a bit extreme example, but hardly the only example of God knowing how things are going to play out and telling us how things are going to play out before they actually do. God has this way of setting wheels in motion to address situations that don't even exist yet. There are much bigger examples than that 
than we see in the book of Exodus. Isaiah, for instance, naming Cyrus the deliverer of the people of God from Babylonian captivity. Before they're in Babylonian captivity, before Cyrus is even born, he is called by name. God is not limited by time and space the way we are. And so therefore, it is no trick necessarily for him to see events before they happen. Now, the question, of course, is does this rob Pharaoh or rob us of our free will? And the answer to that is not necessarily so. It's a struggle for us to understand that. Clearly, it's a struggle for me anyway to understand that. But I believe that we have choices to make in this life, and God holds us accountable for choices. If God is not any respecter of persons, if God is eminently fair, then we have to believe that these choices are made by us and us alone. And if God knows how things are going to take place and he is able to account for that in the workings of his providence and sometimes beyond providence in Bible times, then that does not negate the basic nature of human existence. God knew that Pharaoh would respond poorly, just like he knew that some others would respond well. He called Moses knowing that Moses would say yes. Moses pushed back, of course, but Moses was the chosen vessel. God knew that Moses was the right one for this for this task. And so just as when clay goes into a pot or beeswax goes into a pot, they both go into the same oven. The beeswax pot is going to melt. The clay pot is going to harden. That's the way God's Word works with us. Pharaoh is going to be hardened. He's going to be toughened up against the gospel, and the more he hears it, the more he rejects it. He is tempted by circumstances, of course, when things are going horribly, horribly wrong for him and his nation to let the people go. And eventually, for a short time at least, he does let them go, and then immediately chases them down afterward. Of Pharaoh's heart, he has been hardened, and whether you want to give Pharaoh himself the credit for it, or the word, or God himself, it doesn't really matter. This is the way that it works. This is the way that the gospel impacts us, impacts certain people at least. Others are going to be softened by the gospel. Others are going to be touched. The gospel, Hebrews tells us, uh, cuts us wide open. It's like a two-edged sword, shows us who we are on the inside. And this is the, the great lesson for us as we watch Pharaoh respond to God. This is what evil people do and, frankly, have always done to the things of God. It's not about whether they are well-informed or they thought it all the way through or whatever, bad people are going to respond to the gospel in bad ways. Whatever form that gospel takes, whether it is the message of Moses back in that day, the message of Isaiah in his day, the message of Peter and Paul and the rest of the apostles in their day, as the gospel reads through the Bible today, it's the same God communicating the same message of repentance and consequences for those who are willing to listen to it. And we have the opportunity to Give it a good listen and to respond favorably to it. Don't harden your heart like Pharaoh. When you feel that that desire to give in to the gospel, that desire to let God have his way with you, go ahead and follow up on that because if we allow ourselves to become hardened, we may very well become hardened. So Pharaoh is a great example to us of someone who pushed back against God and suffered the consequences, much like Paul for years, pushed against the goads, kicked back against the goads, as he says in the retelling of the story in Acts chapter 26. Don't be that person. Uh, Allow God to have his way with you. Uh, And hopefully, anyway, not the way that he had his way with Pharaoh. Hopefully we can learn a, a better lesson than that. 
the one verse that I wanted to focus on is actually a couple of verses. Okay, I cheated. Sorry. It's only one of me here, so maybe only uh, two verses won't be that big of a deal. In Exodus chapter 21 and verse number uh, 5 and 6, uh, the text says here, and in the context of, of slave ownership, that slaves were, especially Israelite slaves, were not supposed to remain slaves indefinitely. And uh, someone might sell himself into slavery because of financial considerations or whatever. And he may find good situations or bad, but this was never intended to be a permanent situation. If the slave declares in verse 5, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I do not want to leave as a free man. His master is to bring him to the judges and then bring him to the door or doorpost. And his master will pierce his ear with an awl and he will serve his master for life. Now, maybe I'm kind of playing with fire, bringing up the topic of slavery uh, these days. Obviously, we are opposed to slavery in, in every form, certainly in its modern forms. But slavery was a part of life in virtually every culture back in biblical days, and it was the case in Hebrew life as well. And occasionally, even a Hebrew would be a slave to another one. What Moses tells the people here is that under normal circumstances, a slave goes free, and he takes his things with him. He takes his family with him. But it may be that he doesn't want to leave, maybe because of family situations. If his master had given him a wife, if by extension the master had essentially given him children, maybe this is the lifestyle that he doesn't want to leave behind. These are blessings from his master. His master is treating him well, and he wants to stay. And the idea of being willing to give up your slavery, to, to give up your freedom, rather, to stay a slave speaks directly to the heart of what it means to be a master, it seems like to me. How good of a master must you have been to have provided this environment that a slave wants to stay in? And the reason I bring it up this way is because this is the kind of language we see in the book of Romans, particularly in the New Testament, to refer to our lives in Jesus. We were slaves to sin, but now we become slaves to righteousness. That may seem on the surface like, you know, Apple just comparing apples to apples. What, what good is one over the other? Well, there's a great deal of good uh, of one over the other because the master that we were enslaved to before was going to give us our wages at the end of the day. Chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Being enslaved to righteousness, being enslaved to Jesus Christ is to serve a, a loving and, and supportive, encouraging, nurturing master. It is not a hardship at all, and we come to love this master. We come to love our place in his service. Now, it might seem on the surface that it would be better for me to go out into the world and do my own thing in my own way and acquire my own lifestyle of whatever making I want to, uh, to have. But it's better for me to stay with my master. And therefore, we allow him to pierce our ear as it were. We want to be permanently in his service. There's a great hymn that I was, uh, I was introduced to recently that's written along these themes, the idea of God piercing our ear and showing the world that we are his, we belong to him. Similar messages, tattooing or, or the writing of a name, this kind of imagery is seen a lot. The book of Revelation features it very prominently, that God tags his people that we are His, we are seen to be His, we want to be seen to be His. It may seem on the surface like being a slave is a bad thing, but it really depends on the master you're serving. We have chosen to serve Jesus Christ, and that is a very fortuitous situation for us, one that 
We never, ever want to leave. Every good thing that we could possibly have is found in Jesus, everything that he calls good. And, and we have come to know it to be good as well. He only wants our welfare. He only wants good things for us. And we rejoice to be allowed to be in and continue in his service. And the, um, the one verse, uh, I just said the one verse, the one word that I want to talk about is uh, the word command. The command is given to us in Leviticus more often than any other book except for numbers. Command, commandments, uh, commands, uh, derivatives of that word. 17 times in the last two chapters of Leviticus, or of Exodus rather, it's mentioned simply in regard to the tabernacle. Everything that the Lord commanded, everything the Lord commanded Moses, this is what they did. This is what they were required to do, something they were glad to do. They followed his commands. And maybe it's appropriate in the book that gives us the Ten Commandments that we focus on this word for a little bit here. God doesn't give suggestions. God doesn't give advice. God gives requirements for his people, and then he expects us to obey those requirements. It's not a confusing kind of situation. If we respect our Lord, then we respect his commandment. We realize that those commandments are good for us. Not just 10 of them. Uh, the 10 commandments is, of course, mentioned here in, in Leviticus, Exodus, sorry, chapter 34, verse 28. The term is given there, the 10 commandments. But there are many, many more than just those 10. Some of them technical, some of them procedural, some of them moral. It, it depends. And they're all important because they are all coming to us from God. Now, we in Jesus, of course, have a somewhat different situation, a different set of commands, a different covenant that we are under. But most, if not all, of the moral commands, the moral requirements are the same. Many of the, the other procedural aspects are the same also. What we need to do, though, is seek out what God has for us to do and then do that. And we can fuss and complain about how particular God is, or how unfair it all is, or how we would have done it differently if we were in charge. Well, we're not in charge. And in our saner moments, we realize we don't want to be in charge. We want Him to be guiding us. We want Him to be controlling us. He knows better than we do in all of these things. And because of that, we trust Him to give us these commandments. God gives the commandments to Moses. Moses gives the commandments to Israel. This Passing on of authority, as it were, works the same way in the New Testament. When we listen to God, that means listening to Jesus, which means listening to Jesus' apostles, which means listening to the words that the apostles wrote down. When we read the Bible, we are reading the words of God, the commands of God. And it's not our place to decide which ones are important, which ones are not important. It's our place to obey. And it's our privilege to obey, because His commandments, as 1 John 5 Verse 3 tells us, are not onerous. They're not grievous to us. They are for our good. We are better. We are stronger. We are more fit for heaven when we submit to his will and allow him to have his way with us. He knows far better what we should be turning out as than we do. Paul likens it to the, the clay complaining to the potter in Romans chapter 9. It's not our place to say what God should make out of us, what God should be settling for. It's our place to allow ourselves to be molded by the hands of the one who made us in the first place, the one who knows best for us, and the one who ultimately will judge us. 
So that's Exodus in a nutshell, and in a very small nutshell. Thank you for hanging in there with us, and I hope and pray that God is going to accomplish great things uh, for you this week. I hope that you read through Leviticus, uh, Lord willing, next week. Leviticus is a is a challenge, certainly, as are several of these readings, but we can do it. If we devote ourselves to looking for God's will in our life, we can find a, a series of lessons for us there. The Nadab and Abihu story and, and many others are, are there for us in Leviticus, if we'll just look for it. So I hope that you continue to, to read 20 pages a week on average and you can get all the way through the Bible with us. Thank you for participating. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And uh, keep reading. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems of so strong, God is the shall be satisfied and earth and